0: Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you in church today. Just before we dive into the scripture, uh, I want to ask, how many get my uh, weekly email every week? You know, that's the best reading available. (laughs) Every hand should, I mean, you should be like this. Seriously, if uh, you haven't signed up for the weekly e-news, sign up for that. We'd love uh, for you to keep in touch with what's going on. And then uh, here, just uh, yesterday's edition, I announced that uh, Pastor Michael and Don Marie Heelan will be moving from BCA, uh, heading down to Texas. Um, and they've been a part of our team for 30 years. Can you imagine 30 years, cons- conti- uh, uh, considering the 15 years in between where they were uh, our missionaries? But uh, we love these people, and we're very excited for them. As soon as all of their kids moved to Texas, I've been bugging Michael the last year. So when you going? When you going? When you going? And uh, that time has come. So on March 6th, we'll have a very special uh, farewell for them and a, uh, a little reception after church. Go out of your way and just let them know how much you love and appreciate them, uh, even in the weeks leading up to that. Well, today we're going to continue our series on living, loving, and leading like Jesus. And we've been walking through the Ten Commandments as a part of that process. And, and we've been talking about this metaphor of filtering our lives through the great scriptures uh, of the Bible. In fact, take a look at this next slide, and you'll see that we want to filter our life through the Ten Commandments, the Eight Beatitudes, and the Ethic of Love. These are just major, major scriptures. we take our lives and and we filter it through the Ten Commandments. And and, uh, God reveals those areas of disobedience that need to be filtered out of our life. And we filter our life through the uh, eight Beatitudes that we talked about last fall. And Jesus shows us areas of indifference in our life where we're not completely devoted to him. And then we filter our life through 1 Corinthians 13 and the love ethic. And God shows to us where there's unforgiveness and resentment and and, uh, unkindness and uh, even hatred toward others. And God says, if you're going to live like me, love like me, and lead like me, then you need to be like me. And uh, this this metaphor is one I want you to kind of chew on a little bit. Today, in just a few moments, we're going to look at commandment number four. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. God's word is God's will, is God's wisdom, is God's way. And we want to anchor deep in God's word, amen? And we want his wisdom to be the, the... uh, roadmap that we follow in our life. Now, we've been talking about living, loving, and leading like Jesus. And we want more of Jesus and less of us. More of Jesus and less of us. Say that with me. More of Jesus, less of me. More of Jesus, less of me. Say it again. More of Jesus, less of me. Uh, we want to be like him. We want to look like him. And we talked about three I words last week. And you see them on the screen here. We want to imitate Christ, and we looked at Scripture for each of these. We want to be image bearers. We want to bear the image of Christ so that others can read what the gospel means by looking at our life. And we want to influence other people to Christ. Paul says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. You need to reach and lead lost people to faith in Christ. And I asked this question, I said, who do you look like? When people see you, do, do, do you look like Jesus? And and, and I shared kind of a funny story, and uh, uh, for those that weren't here, I'm going to just give you kind of the, the quick review. But, you know, through the years, I've had people say, has anybody ever said you look like a Hollywood star? I mean, how many of you have had people ask you that? Come on now. And I've always wished they would say one of these four guys right here. You know, Jason Bourne, Jack Reacher, Ethan Hunt. Those two middle guys look like twins, don't they? And then Bond, James Bond. I mean, these are the guys that wipe out the bad guys and good prevails because of them. That's what I hope they would say. But they say I look like Michael Keaton. Take a look at this guy. And I brought up my reading glasses last week and that kind of thing. Well, this week, this week I received a text from one of my buddies in the church. And, uh, you know, I I won't say his name publicly, but I'll give you his initials. It's Bill Follett. And... uh, (laughs) Bill said, Rob, I just had no idea how much you resembled Michael Keaton. And he sent me this picture right here. (laughs) And I said, you know, that looks a lot like about 30 years ago when I was Crazy the Clown. (laughs) So it's just an uncanny resemblance, uncanny in every way. Well, who do you look like? Who do you look like? Hopefully, hopefully, there's people in your life that say, You look like Jesus. You talk like Jesus. The things that are important to you are the things that are important to Jesus. Just read his Bible. Hopefully, there are people in your life that say, That person reminds me of Jesus. How about it? How's it going? As we talk about living, loving, and leading like Jesus, may it be more than just a slogan. May it be the mission and vision of our life where we ask ourselves often, how is it going? Where do I need to change? Where do I need to rearrange my life? Where do I need to refocus my life even just a little bit? I'm going to share a scripture from the Gospel of John for each of our, our themes, live, love, and lead. And uh, You'll see him on the screen. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Rob, if you truly are going to live like Jesus, you need to follow his commands. You need to obey. You need to diligently put one foot after the other in doing and living just the way Jesus did. Love, another uh, Gospel of John 1335. By this everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. More than what you say, more than what you think, more than anything else, it's how well do you love. They will know you are my disciples by how well you love. And you can't talk about leading like Jesus without talking about servant leadership. And the great passage in John 13, 13 through 17, where Jesus washed his disciples' feet. You should wash one another's feet. He said, I have set you an example. You should do as I have done. No servant is greater than his master. In that culture, it was the servant that washed the master's feet. Jesus turned it upside down. It was the master washing the servant's feet. That's what it means to lead like Jesus. So that's the sermon. That's it. That's all. If anybody tries to leave, we have ushers at the door to tackle you because there's more. There's a little bit more, but that is the message. God, help us, help us, help us. Live, love, and lead like Jesus. Now, each week we have talked about developing a biblical worldview, and I think it's so, so important that you have a very firm biblical worldview because it's the biblical worldview that serves as a rudder when you go through the storms of life, when the seas are raging and the winds are blowing and there's all sorts of ideas and ideological thoughts, philosophies bouncing around. You need to have a rudder. And I've encouraged you to adopt my biblical uh, worldview or, or develop your own. But to me, I need to live in the center of three circles. That's what living, loving, and leading like Jesus is all about. And as we look at this Venn diagram, biblical morality is one of the big circles. The Great Commission, or excuse me, uh, the Beatitudes that we talked about last fall, the Ten Commandments that we're talking about right now, we need to know what we believe, why we believe it. And then the second big circle are biblical purposes. I can't use my uh, morality as a billy club to beat people over the head that don't agree with me or believe like me, because Jesus said, I want you to love God and love people and go into all the world and make disciples. You can't beat people into submission to follow me. You have to love them. Love God, love people. So I need to do both. I need to stand deeply for biblical morality. I need to know what I believe, believe what I know, anchor deep in truth. But I also got to figure out ways to reach people for Christ. That's why we're here, folks. We're to reach people, help people find their way to Christ. And it all needs to be uh, really anchored deeply in biblical virtues, which is uh, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, meekness, self-control. And of course, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. I need to believe deeply. I need to uh, reach passionately. And I need to love fiercely. A biblical worldview must guide our lives. Now, we want to filter our life through these 10 commandments. That's what we've been doing each week. And today we're And it reads in Exodus chapter 20, picking up at verse 8, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And then it goes on, verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now when I look at each of the Ten Commandments, I ask myself four questions. In fact, as I, as I study all of Scripture, I really ask these questions in one way, shape, or form. What does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean to me? And how am I going to respond? It's really the question of instruction, inspiration, implication, and application. You know, I think of the original readers. You know, what does it say to the original readers? The the context of the original writing. And, And I think of the commandment we talked about a few weeks ago you shall have only one God. And I think to myself, as we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, the Israelites were in Egypt where they had 23 gods, on their way to Canaan where they had over 230 gods. That was a pretty powerful message. There's one God. There's not a lot of gods. There's one. And uh, so, so we understand what it says. And then we understand what it really means. You know, we, uh, we think of the commandment, don't have any idols. and We think of the golden calf. And we say, do I have any golden calves in my life? And we say, well, no, not a golden calf. But is there anything competing for first position for God in my life? And there's lots of things in life that could do that. And then what does it mean to me? You know, what's the implication? What's the the application of, or the implication, rather, of of commandment number four? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. What are the implications? And then what am I going to do about it? What is my personal application and steps of obedience. And so I want to weave our way through these questions as we uh, round out this message. For some people, the fourth commandment has been kind of whittled down to just two ideas, rest and ritual. And I think this falls far short of the the rich meaning of this commandment, and I, I hope to explain that effectively. But for some, it's rest. Hey, that's the day of rest, so it's my day to play in the mountains or play on the water. And that's all it means. That's it. That's all. For others, it's, it's legalism. You know, that's license. The second one is legalism. I have to go to church every seven days. You know, I have to. Well, that's legalism. Now, rest is important. Absolutely. And ritual is important, quite frankly. Ritual is discipline and habits. You know, those are important in every area of our life. But I don't think those two ideas sum up the whole of what the fourth commandment is all about. And I hope to explain that as we go along. Now, scholars help us break down the big ideas of this commandment. And in the expositors' commentary, we read that the Sabbath is derived from the Hebrew word or verb specifically to rest or cease from work. I think we understand that part. It goes on to say, uh, does the commentary, that Hebrews were to set aside each seventh day as the day belonging to the Lord. And this is both a moral and ceremonial law. The moral part for the Jews was they were to take one out of every seven and devote it to the Lord. The ceremonial part was they chose the seventh day. God worked for six, rested on the seventh. But when you get to the New Testament, the early church kind of flipped it on its head. And instead of, uh, they continued the moral observation, but they changed the ceremonial observation. Instead of celebrating on the seventh day, they flipped it to the first. Do you know why that was? Why do you think they went to the first day of the week? Because of Easter, Resurrection Day, Resurrection Day. How many think that's a pretty big deal? <laughs> and the early church after Jesus said, we're celebrating Easter, we're celebrating Resurrection Sunday. That, the first day of the week, is the Lord's Day. In fact, there are a couple passages that kind of uh, you know, speak to that whole idea. Revelation 1.10 talks about the Lord's Day. 1 Corinthians 16.2, on the first day of the week. The first day of the week was sanctified. Now, interesting stuff, but what's the application of this commandment to you and me? To me, it's really summed up in these three words. One day of every seven, I need to rest so I have time to remember, so I focus on where I need to reorder my life. Now, really think about that with me for a few moments. Let's talk about resting, first of all. Uh, resting inextricably connected to this idea of Sabbath rest is this idea of time. Think about your time. Think about how you spend your time. How do you spend your time? You say, Rob, I don't have any time. I have no time at all. I am just uh, up to here with responsibilities. I have no time. And I think we've all felt that uh, a lot more than we'd like to admit. But the reality is, think about this, is we are all time rich. Don't throw any tomatoes yet, but we are all time rich. We all have 24 hours a day. We all have 168 hours a week. We all are time rich. Now, the challenge is how we choose to use the time. That's where it becomes just a little bit more complicated. But I want you just to think about time for a moment. Would you agree that God has given us just enough time to accomplish everything he wants us to? I believe that. I believe that fully it's the execution of it in my life that becomes a little bit tricky sometimes. It's easy to overschedule yourself. It's easy to encumber yourself with more responsibilities and obligate yourself with more things than you can really accomplish. But the question is, are we spending our time well? We have the same amount of time as anybody and everybody except for when we're born, when we die, but any day in between we have the same amount of time. Have you ever noticed people that seem to get a whole lot done and wondered, how in the world do they do that? I mean, they've got to have 13 months every year. Eight, you know, days every week and what, 25 hours every day. Anybody ever wish you had an extra month a year? Yeah, except for the last three years. Maybe 10 would have been enough. (laughs) Um, Have you ever wished you had an extra day a week? I have, I'm sorry to admit that an extra hour every day, boy, that would come in nice. That would be handy. But, you know, we have the same amount of time. It comes down to how do we use it. Kerry Neuwelth, in his book, At Your Best, How to Get Time, Energy, and Priorities Working in Your Favor, says this, you can make excuses or you can make progress, but you can't do both. Stop making excuses and start making progress. And I think the whole idea of what he's saying is, do your priorities and your calendar align And are the most important things the things that you really focus on the most? And that's a great question to ask. And if we create space in our life to rest so that we can remember and then reorder our life, we have a better chance to getting things in the right order. Commandment number four is about time. I wrote down, Are you recognizing the Sabbath as you should and commandeering your time to maximize time for rest, time to remember, and time to reorder? Or do you run through your week and then pile your weekend just stock full of responsibility to where you have no time to rest, remember, and reorder? Lisa read a book here some uh, time ago and she said, Rob, you should read this. It was a book about uh, the Sabbath and written by a, uh, a Jewish uh, author. And uh, she said, I think you'll like it. And I, I, I did read it and I, I really did like it. It, it just speaks of the uh, Jewish religion and tradition surrounding the Sabbath. And it's just amazing to me how central the Sabbath is in their faith. Uh, they would work in preparation all week, looking ahead, anticipating the Sabbath. And then they would celebrate uh, and be revived and renewed and refreshed by celebrating the Sabbath on the day. And then the next few days they would look back in uh, in uh, really celebration and gratefulness uh, for all that that meant to them. It's just very profound, the centrality of the Sabbath. Heschel talks about... Uh, Judaism being a religion of time and uh, how so uh, much of, uh, of their life is focused on, on uh, prioritizing time and how time is a, uh, a cathedral of the Sabbath. I mean, interesting to think about how important the Sabbath was and is to our Jewish friends. It's a religion of time says Heschel. Well, one of the things that jumped out to me is that the Sabbath is more than a, hey, let's go to church on Sunday deal. It really was pivotal to the Jews back then and even the Jews today. And I just stop and I think to myself, I wonder how it is for us. How are we doing with the theology of time? Do we recognize that God is the Lord of time but we've kind of stolen it back to do whatever we want or do we honor him with our time? And as I think about the Sabbath, I think about a big picture of time. Have I carved out the priority in my life for seasons to rest so that I can remember and reorder my life? Rest. The second idea is remember. Remember. Remember God's provision. Remember God's promises. Remember God's protection. Remember God's power. Remember God's goodness. Remember God's love. Remember his wisdom. Time to remember. I don't know about you, but I have been convicted through the years, especially these last four or five years, to just take more time to think and meditate and ruminate and ponder and process and express gratitude and appreciation and celebration of God and his person. Remember, Craig Rochelle in his book, Winning the War of Your Mind, tells a, uh, a story, gives an illustration that I am very familiar with. He talks about cows chewing their cud. Now, uh, my brothers and I grew up with a dad who was a hobby farmer. I mean, we were around cows all the time. we get up before school and milk the cow and uh, you know, take the pails and uh, instead of just uh, uh, feeding uh, the calf that belonged to the cow, we'd have another three calves that we would uh, also raise. And that's how we put ourselves, uh, at least partly through, through college. And we would brand cattle and we would give them shots and we would dehorn them and uh, we would work them and we would slip and slide in the manure. How many are feeling great about that already? Uh, we were around cows all the time and I have seen so many cows chewing their cud. And when cows chew their cud, it's called ruminating. They ruminate. So they, they eat the grass, they chew the grass, they swallow the grass, and then they throw up the grass. How many are feeling really good right now? And they chew the grass more, and they swallow it again, and, and then they throw it up again, and then they chew it some more, and then they swallow it, and then they throw it up again, and this goes on and on. That's what it calls to ruminate, to, to chew their cud. And the purpose of that is to maximize the nutrients out of that bit of grass. And that whole idea of ruminate just really uh, kind of resounds in my mind a little bit because it's, it's really akin to, to a Bible word, meditate. We need to ruminate. We need to meditate. We need to reflect. We need to ponder. We need to take time to just sit and soak in the goodness of God. And life gets so busy and full and chaotic, we don't take the time. The time to rest or the time to reflect and remember. And our lives then kind of spin out of control and we're running after this and running after that and God becomes an afterthought. Ruminate. It's interesting that when you link two verses, if you look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, and then Deuteronomy chapter 5, these are the two places in the Old Testament where you read the Ten Commandments. In the first one, a part of the Scripture we read earlier, God says, okay, when you celebrate the Sabbath, I want you to remember creation. I want you to remember the power of God and the provision of God and the creative genius of God in creating the universe. And in the second one, he says, remember the Exodus, the greatest delivering... uh, uh, power displayed of God ever in the history of the world in the Old Testament. I want you to think of God's creative power. I want you to think of his delivering power and his love for you and how he was there for you in the past and how he'll be there for you in the future. Remember. Remember. When you're going through a hard time, what's one of the first things you do? I'll tell you one of the first things I do. I stop and I remember the goodness of God. I say, he's been there for me in the past. He's going to be there for me in the future. I believe it like I believe anything, more than I believe anything. He is faithful and true. He's been with me. He'll be for me. Well, as New Testament Christians, we remember the creation, obviously, and we remember the incredible story of uh, the parting of the Red Sea. But the greatest act of deliverance that we look back on is the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? And more than a sea that was crossed... There was a cross that was endured by Jesus himself, and he died, and then he went to the tomb, and then he raised from the dead. And so once every seven days, we rest, get rejuvenated, revived, and we remember the goodness of God, the grace of God, the power of God, and the mercy of God, and the delivering uh, nature of God. Jesus said this, Man was not made for the Sabbath, but what? The Sabbath was made for man. I don't know if, you, if that's a verse you're going to kind of fly over when you read uh, the New Testament. But in the context of what we're looking at here today, just stop and think about that. God has given us the Sabbath, not so that we serve the Sabbath, but he says the Sabbath is there to serve you, to strengthen you, to rejuvenate you, to revive you. If you take time to rest and get rejuvenated and renewed, and if you take time to remember me and remember my goodness and my power and what I've done for you and what I am doing for you and what I can do for you in the future, if you remember me and also take stock of your life and see where you're out of order and reorder your life, Life will go well for you. Life will go better for you. You will end up where I want you to go. The last one is reorder. Reorder. Recalibrate. Cars need to be realigned. Sometimes computers need to be rebooted. And sometimes our lives need to be reordered because we get out of order. Imagine, for example, that you uh, have somebody at work that's just really a pain. Um, anybody ever known anybody who's been a pain? Um, and you know, you're you're kind of chafing under that, and, and you're starting to get pretty heated about it. And uh, uh, you wouldn't say you hate them, but you don't really like them, and uh, you know, you're not necessarily rooting for them, and you certainly aren't praying for them. Uh, and you're kind of veering off track, and you know. You keep going this way and this day. And then you come to the Sabbath and you believe and rest, remember, reorder. And you say, Lord, forgive me for the hatred that I have toward them. Forgive me for how I am thinking about them. And we reorder our life and we get back on track and we start to live, love, and lead like Jesus. And we begin to pray for our enemy. We begin to pray for those that are causing us grief. We begin to get our heart attitude in line, reordered so that we can live, love, and lead like Jesus. Once every seven days. Reality is we probably need to do it once every two days. (laughs) But imagine if we practiced that principle, the principle of Sabbath rest, Sabbath remembering, and Sabbath reordering. I think it would take us to a whole new level in our Christianity and our Christian faith. We would mirror Christ more faithfully. The tendency for you and me is to crowd God out of our life, to crowd God out of our life, to pack so much stuff in, some of which is important, some of which is not necessary, it's not essential, and it's certainly not more important than rest, remember, reorder. If I have crammed my life so full that I do not have time to rest, remember, and reorder, then my life is out of order. I have just enough time to do everything God wants me to do. And so the question is, what is going on in my life that maybe is unessential? We pack too much stuff in, we spend too much money, which creates too much stress, and we end up going in a direction that is out of alignment. When you zoom in on commandment number four, it says, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. And when you zoom out, you get kind of this bigger picture of resting, remembering, and reordering. No one did this better than Jesus. Jesus recognized the principles of Sabbath in his life so profoundly. I want to close with this application. Just ask yourself, as you think about the Sabbath, on this Sabbath day, Are there excuses I need to eliminate? You know, excuses I'm making for how I spend my time. Are there priorities that need to be prioritized? They keep kind of being pushed to the side. And God and other things. God is not number one and other things become number one. Do I need to determine afresh and new where my true devotion lies? In Jesus and his will and way for my life. We used to have a slogan years and years ago when I first was uh, pastoring the church, uh, probably back in the crazy, the clown era. And we would say, let's make Sunday special. Well, I kind of want to claim that in the light of what we're talking about here today. Let's make each Sabbath special. Let's ask ourselves every Sabbath, what place and what priority does God have in my life? Is he the greatest passion of my life? Am I taking time to rest so that I create space to remember well and then focus on where I need to reorder? That, my friends, is profound. And if we can just get our hands and hearts wrapped around that, it's going to help us more than we know to live, love, and lead like Jesus more than ever before. Lord, I thank you for everybody that's here today, those in our tradition service, those in Unplugged, those online, those live right here in this service. And Lord, I just pray that you'll help us leverage the teaching of the Sabbath day in our own lives and commandeer our time for your purposes. May the principle of Sabbath rest and how it will rejuvenate us and, and the space it will afford us to remember well. And then help us reorder our lives where needed. May those principles be a reality, Lord, once every seven days. I pray your blessing on everybody that's here today, Lord. I pray that you'll help us live, love, and lead like Jesus more than ever. I pray particularly, Lord, for those that are going through a tough time right now. Maybe a marriage that is really strained. Maybe there's mom, dad, kid relationship problems. Maybe there's financial concerns. Maybe there's been a death in the family. Maybe there's financial setback. Whatever it might be, Lord, I just pray that you will minister love and encouragement and help and guidance and leadership to each and every person. I also pray, Lord, for those that may be here today that really haven't put you first in their life, but today would like to reorder their life and commit their life to Jesus. And if that's you, dear friend, I want to encourage you just to pray this prayer. Lord, I commit my life to you or I recommit my life to you, if that be the case. I recommit my life to you. I want to follow you fully. Be my Lord, be my Savior, come into my life, forgive me of my sins. I commit or I recommit my life to you, Jesus Christ. Be Lord of my life, be Lord of my time, be Lord of my priorities. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. There's a connection card in front of you that we like to refer to, and maybe you already started filling it out there's a prayer request that we can pray with you out. Please put that down. If you prayed to commit or recommit your life to Christ, would you tell me about that? If there's any other areas that we can pray with you about, please list that. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Let's stand. We're going to sing a final song, be dismissed in just a couple minutes. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come down as we sing. And if you have a special need, please come forward. We'd love to pray with you. God bless you.